Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be looking at two parables. I, I've given you a two-for-one focused on posture today. Uh, we're going to be talking about posture a little bit. I'm going to go um, as amazingly fast as possible. I don't want to overwhelm you. We've already had a we've already had a nice church experience, and I don't want to ruin it with my words. And I'm I'm aware of that. That happens. And so I want to work through this pretty quickly and arrive at kind of a. Uh, this is going to. I'll explain it as we get there. So we're going to work through this pretty quickly. Uh, but we're going to talk about posture. Um, and it's funny that we're talking about posture because this morning all of a sudden my back started hurting. No reason other than it just started hurting. And I don't know why. I have no, like, there isn't uh, a trauma or any sort of situation. It just, like, started aching a little bit. And kind of like right here, you know. You guys get those. We're just kind of, uh. And I was, I was actually just, while we are finishing that last song, I was out in the, in, the, in the narthex, foyer, vestibule. I was out there and I was like doing one of these things and like trying to do whatever is going on. And I, I just don't even know. So it's pretty funny. And we get to talk about posture and I'm aching just briefly. Two for one, two stories, one theme. Let me read them to you, starting with verse nine. The Pharisee and the tax collector and then let the children come to me. He also said, verse 9, Luke 18, he also said, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they're bringing even infants to him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. Lord, we ask that uh, as we proclaim the word, as we've just read your word, that, that all that comes from me would be the things that you need our family, our church family to hear and to receive and to, to ponder and to be inspired by. So Lord, help me to preach with authority, with clarity, uh, with your words and your words only. We love you and we say that together as a church that we love you. Amen. So this morning I want to wrestle with this question um, that needs to be answered, I think, from a, from a couple different perspectives. And one will be a personal answer, something that you'll actually, like, I think need to think about. And then the other part of the, the approach to this question is, how do we answer it as a church family? How do we answer it as a corporate body? How do we answer it as a, a together? So there's the individual, and then there's the together. And, I, and I, even there's probably another step where you can say, how do we do this together as a family, our, our nuclear family? But, but what I want us to focus on is me and then we. And the question is, what is our posture 
before the Lord. I think that it, that's, uh, it feels like a pastor question that I just asked, right? Or like, a, like somebody, that, somebody that, I know the answer to my own question before I ask it, and I'm asking it to try to make a point. But it really is, what is our posture before the Lord? How do we approach God? When we use the word posture, a lot of us think of it in the corrective way. Don't slouch. Stand up straight. Watch your posture. Please sit up, son. Thank you. So we're asking or suggesting to somebody that we're an authority over to fix the way they're standing or sitting. We did not plan that, by the way. That is just classic Faisal household. The thing I'm talking about, one of the kids is failing at, at the moment. <laughs> or Angelo. We say, sit up straight, stop slouching. The majority of our posture references in our lives are oriented around that concept. In our text this morning and what we're going to be talking about, the posture we're looking at is different. It, the word, if you work down on the definitions in the dictionary, it's, posture means a conscious, mental, or outward behavioral attitude. Okay, so instead of using that fancy pastor question, what is our posture for, before the Lord, I can ask it in a more simplified way that which we all kind of resonated with. What is our attitude before the Lord? What is our behavior be, before the Lord? But what I want to get at this morning, where we're going to drive or drill down to, is how are our behaviors and attitudes being shown towards God? Now, anybody who's read the, the publican and the and the tax collector, or the Pharisee and the tax collector, they know where they, what side of, the, of the, the praying they want to be on, right? We all want to be the tax collector. We all want to beat our chest. We all want to be justified before the Lord. But what really is our conscious, mental state towards God? How do we really think about God? How do we really, what are we really getting at? When I ask that question, it pierces a little bit deeper individually to me. Because I find myself many times saying, God, I deserve. God, I want. God, you owe me. God, it's not fair. God, why don't I have? We have those questions with the fill in the blanks. And we're all at different states in life, right? We're all struggling in different spots. And I've said it every single Sunday up here, I think, for the last five or six weeks. There is turmoil going on in each and every one of our lives. Whether it's physical turmoil, emotional turmoil, there's a relational problem, there's parenting struggles, there's financial difficulties. We have that sort of struggle. That's the human existence. But my attitude so often says, God, why don't I have? Or why haven't you given me and fill in my blank? That happens so much to me. I, I, I find that when I'm wandering around our, our church building, I'm going, why doesn't this room look like this? Why doesn't this sanctuary look like this? And I start to ask these questions, expecting that God would just fix it. Well, that says a little bit more about me and my attitude towards the Lord. Lord, we're not this way. I'm not doing this. We give in our household. We do these particular things. We followed all that you've asked us to do. We've moved to the mountains. 
We've left our family. Lord, why don't you just give us this? I think you could all probably think of that same scenario in your own lives and go, yeah, I've done that before. I might have done that this morning before I came to church. <laughs> See, our behavioral attitude is a reflection of our inward belief system. Behavior is actually belief put into action, put into practice. So what we believe determines our actual behaviors. What we believe determines our behaviors. Now, when you look at your behaviors as a third person and then view your own life, that kind of freaks me out and should freak you out. The way I behave is a reflection of my belief system. Does that mean that I believe that God isn't faithful? Does that mean that, that I believe that God isn't loving? That I believe that God isn't generous? That I believe that God doesn't care when I complain to him? When I yell at him? When I like say awful things about my life? Or when I point out all the awful things about other people's life and say, Why haven't I received? See, I find myself praying quite a bit like the Pharisee here. Jesus told this parable, and it says it right there in the text, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And they treated others with the word that Luke uses, it's contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, said, God, thank you for who I am. Thank you that I'm not like these people. Thank you that I'm not like that person. See, I would never do that in this room. Could you imagine a pastoral prayer that looked like that? Where the pastor walked to the front of the room and said, Dear Lord, thank you that I'm not like Jinx. What would that look like? I would love to be like you, besides the gender issue. Nobody would do that. It's insane to do that. But how many times do, do people walk into the church room and say, and they say it in their heart. They say it right here. And Jesus is pointing out that this, this behavior exists. It's a real thing. Two men go up to the temple and pray. They pray in two different ways. And a lot of the time we pray like the Pharisee. And I'm, I'm, I'm projecting that on you because I know I do it. When we get the picture of the tax collector, what does the tax collector do? He stands far off. He stands away from everything, away from the altar, over against, against the side of the wall and says, I don't want to have anything to do with that because I'm not worthy of what's going on over there. I need to be far off. And just the distance that Jesus creates when he's telling this parable suggests that, this, that the tax collector is coming to the altar with a heart that's ready to receive whatever God's willing to bestow upon him, whatever God's willing to drop from heaven on him, he's going to say, I'll receive that because I'm not worthy of anything else. These parables are so simple, and we know that they're simple. We, we, we read it, and he gives us the point at the very end. I don't need to execute it any more than that. Jesus says, 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You can make your own application right into your life. Let the word of God sit on your heart and start to inspect you. Where have you exalted yourself? Where do you know that you've been humbled? Where have you felt humbled? The story of the kids coming forward. Let the children come to me, Jesus says to his disciples. The disciples were trying to interrupt it. It's like, no, 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 don't bother us, don't bother us. This is an incredibly stressful part of, of Jesus' life. He's making his approach to Jerusalem. We'll find over the next couple of weeks what's happening. That he is beginning to arrive in Jerusalem. In his life, he knows what's about to happen. And I think in some ways the disciples can read the human body language and go, wait, this is stressful. All these little kids coming and piling and asking for them to touch. I mean, I would love that. But let's take the most, like, I mean, if we just were to sit somebody, and I had thought about doing this, but I, we're not going to, sit somebody in this chair and say, dog pile, little kids, since you're in the front row, dog pile on Jinx, and we had all the little kids in the room come running towards Jinx and jump on her. It would be awesome to see, but that's what's going on here. It would be terrible. I mean, if you were like have a space issue, if you have a, if you have a personal bubble thing happening, what would that feel like? They're just kids coming and coming and coming and the responsibility and the burden and, and then couple that with what Jesus is getting ready to step into in the triumphal entry and to putting to, to death on a cross and knowing that that's going to happen, knowing that this is the mission that he's on. He says, no, disciples, let the kids come to me. Simple faith. Simple faith. You can enter the kingdom if you have faith like a child. Dependent, trusting, willing, coachable. In the midst of a pressure-packed ministry, Jesus pauses, takes the time to receive the children, and bless them. This reveals so much and kind of encapsulates Jesus' ministry, his care and concern for all of his souls. And this desire for us to pursue him with our lives. What he's showing the disciple is everyone matters. Everyone matters. Even the littles, they matter. There is not one soul that doesn't matter to me. So we're going to stop and I'm going to bless. Jesus encourages us to receive God's kingdom like a child. See, our skeptical culture teaches us to not believe everything we see, not to believe everything we feel. That's why only 6% of churches in America are growing. Quick math for us, that means out of 100, 6. Skepticism reigns. We don't trust anymore. We take everything with a grain of salt. Do you have a suspicious heart? Are you cynical towards the Lord? What's your posture before God? What sort of attitude do you have of your inward belief system? 
So we talk about hope and we talk about faith and we talk about putting everything we have into, into this person of Jesus Christ to follow him, to pursue him with all that we are. But it's really easy. It's really easy for us to kind of go, ah, I don't know. Even as lifelong followers, we get in those spaces where we're like, do I have the energy for that? Do I have the energy to have somebody over to my house and entertain them? Do I have the energy to get up and come to prayer at 9 o'clock before church starts? Uh, true, right? I'm that way. I was complaining already before I got here this morning. Oh, we got to pray at 9. We do that. That's our attitude. That's a culture. We adopt the culture. Even though we're, we're supposed to change and shape and drive the culture towards a person of Jesus Christ, toward a kingdom reality, or the reality of God's kingdom rushing the earth, transforming lives, we kind of adopt the things that make us feel good. It's easy. We complain. I complain. It's my favorite pastime. I told somebody it's my spiritual gift this morning to complain. I'm the best complainer here. I'll find anything to complain about because I'm a jerk. Because I've adopted the culture. And I'm a skeptic. So then I have to ask myself, what's my posture before the Lord? And let me tell you this. This is, this is not arrogant pastor speak. If I live this way, you live this way. We do it. It just might be different variants. A simple child. A dependent attitude. Someone who needs to nurse. That's dependency. What does it look like to be dependent before the Lord? To come into the and say, I'll take and receive all that I am. See, these two stories, the parable and the story, are so related because of the attitude in which you're supposed to approach God. What we believe determines our behaviors. You know the stories. I taught you the stories. I mean, I could have taught more. I could have did some of the nuance of it, the Greek and all that stuff. And we don't need to do that. What I am going to do is teach you about where we're going to go as a for just a second. It's called Catholic Church Math. Three plus one. Three plus one. Three questions, one challenge. We're going to apply it to everything that we do going forward. Everything. Everything we do has three questions attached to it and one challenge. Question one, what does this teach me about God? So when we study... We go to a Sunday, uh, Bible study on Friday as women and have some lunch. We're going to ask that question. What does this teach me about God? When I stand up here and yell at you and tell you what I'm studying and what I'm working through, you're going to ask that question and I'm going to ask that question. What does this teach me about God? What do I learn about my God from what's being communicated right now? When we begin to answer that question, we grow. We grow. When we begin to answer that question, when we answer that question in community, we grow together. We connect with one another. That's question one, and I'll go back and maybe fill in your blank on this one, like what the answer to this question is. I don't, maybe I don't even need to. Question two, critical question. How does this help me to pursue Jesus? How does this help me to pursue Jesus? What I just heard, what I just studied, what we just talked about, what just happened at youth group, what just happened in Sunday school, how does this help me pursue Jesus? Casper Church is a place where we're going to pursue Jesus together. 
That's who we are. Pursuing Jesus is all that Jesus wants. We put all the rules and the chaos around it with our human culture and create all these weird rules and all these different loopholes that we have to jump through and all the different things that we are supposed to do and the way you're supposed to look. And then we begin to pray like the Pharisee and say, I'm glad I'm not like this. I'm glad I'm not like this. I'm glad I'm not like this. I'm so grateful I'm who I am. How does this, what I'm learning, help me to pursue Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior? How does it help me take steps towards him so that I am like him? How does this turn me into an image bearer of the Son? Third question. How can this change my life? I want us to focus on me. Point the finger at yourself. Everybody point your finger at yourself. Do it. Me. How does this change my life? I want us to start answering that question. Because if I'm, filled, if I'm in a room filled with people whose lives are being changed, corporately our lives are being changed together. If dad's life is getting changed because he's pursuing Jesus Christ, he influences his wife and or his kids or the whole unit. How does this change my life? As your life is changed, you will step out and begin to impact the world around you. Let's not, not start with the world around us. Let's start with us. Let's start with me. And a byproduct of that is you will change the people around you. You will change your neighborhood. You will change your city. We will change our state. But if we start with us, with me, how does this change me? It becomes infectious. And it's not self-centered. It's not self-focused. It's how do I grow as I pursue Jesus? Because if I'm, it's the, it's the crashing plane principle, right? When the masks fall out, what do you do? You put it on yourself first so that you can help someone else. We don't want a bunch of broken people, follow the illustration, broken people who are not interested in getting healed, trying to tell other people how they should be healed. You see how messed up that is? And we do that. That's what church does. So three questions. Here they are. What does this teach me about God? How am I learning? How am I growing? What, is, what am I receiving from God in this? How does this help me pursue Jesus, the core piece of who we are? We're a group of people pursuing Jesus together. And then how does this change me so that I can change others? And to change others is the challenge, the math, the three plus one. Who can I invite to join me? After you've been changed, who can I invite to join me? I'm filled with a room of people who love this church. Regardless of the man standing right here, you love this church. If you love this church, who can you invite to join you? If this church is changing you, who can you invite to join you? It's not your job to change everyone else. Because if you invite someone to join you in this process, if you invite someone to come along with you, they begin to answer the, ask these questions for themselves. They say, what does this teach me about God? How can I pursue Jesus? And what is it changing about me? It's the attitude of the tax collector going before the Lord. Lord, I'm not worthy. Help me. 
Help me. Draw me into your presence. Give me anything you got from heaven. Shower your mercy upon me. Humble yourself before the Lord. We don't have all the perfect answers here. But we have good math. Three questions plus one. What do these parables teach you about God? God wants a humble heart. He wants people to come to him. God wants us God wants us to approach him as dependent children who need him, desperate for him, waiting for his meal that he's going to provide. How does this help me pursue Jesus? How do this, this stories help me pursue Jesus? Well, if I'm humble and I ask the Lord to take care of me, I'm connecting to Jesus. And then maybe even be more detailed about what you're, what you're needing from the Lord. Lord, I need healing today. Lord, I need peace today. Lord, I need fill in your blank. I need this, not that I want a new car. I want a better house. I want a bigger bank account. But I need this deep stuff that you give through your son Jesus. I need to have more compassion towards others. That question alone helps you pursue Jesus. How can this change my life? This parable for me 15 years ago was life-altering. I had a man, I don't even remember who it was, but I remember it being like this in my face telling me that he struggled with being prideful. And it hit me that, oh, that's the way I pray. I pray in the way I'm not. I pray and that, say, God, I'm grateful that I don't, I'm not like this. I do that. It was transformational and changed me. Who can you invite to join if you love your place, if you love, if you love what you're doing, if you love Wednesday night, who can you invite to join? Good math, three plus one.